The following is a presentation of Tomorrow's World. Every year, professing Christians celebrate the holiday known as Easter, but few understand its true origins. Consider, how is it that a day supposedly picturing the resurrection of Jesus Christ came to be known by the name of a pagan goddess? Why is the day celebrated with rabbits and colored eggs? What do these have to do with the resurrection of Christ? These are only a few of the mysteries that surround this day. Do you realize that the Good Friday crucifixion and Easter Sunday morning resurrection traditions contradict the one and only sign that Jesus said he would give that he was the Messiah? That's right. Literally hundreds of millions profess that Jesus Christ is their Savior, but their very traditions deny the one and only sign that Jesus said he would give, that he was who he claimed to be. Consider what this means. Either Jesus is not the Messiah, or the professing Christian tradition is wrong. It can't be any other way. On today's program, we're going to look into the Bible, the only true source that reveals what really happened regarding the crucifixion and resurrection. And surprisingly, it's not what most people think. If you're willing to look into the biblical record and facts recorded by well-respected historians, you can know the truth about Easter and its pagan past. And you can know the truth of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'll be right back, so stay tuned. A warm welcome from tomorrow's world to all our viewers around the world. For many professing Christians, Easter is the most sacred holiday of the year. But for others, it's a time to show off a new hat. It's an exciting time for children to search for brightly colored eggs. Some children are given live dyed chickens or rabbits by well-meaning parents. Easter sunrise services are common and traditional meals are often served such as pancake breakfasts and ham dinners. But consider, what does all this have to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? The simple answer is absolutely nothing. I often tell people the story of my Uncle George and how he started down the road to atheism. When he was five years old, my grandmother told him to go out and look for the eggs the rabbits had laid. Even at this early age, he knew that rabbits didn't lay eggs. He immediately protested, rabbits don't lay eggs. And she replied, Georgie, if you look real hard, you'll find them. As he explained to me, he really did look, but he didn't find any. And he went back into the house with disgust and declared, Mother, you lied to me. Rabbits don't lay eggs. And then he told me, that's when I began to question God and religion. Why is it that Christians lie to their children about such things when the Ninth Commandment tells us you shall not bear false witness? Let's notice what historians reveal to us about the origin of some Easter traditions, starting with the very name itself. 
Easter is nothing more than another spelling for the Anglo-Saxon goddess Yistre. But who was this goddess? The New World Encyclopedia suggests a connection between Yistre and Easter with the very popular and ancient goddess Ishtar. Scholars likewise speculate that Isra, the Anglo-Saxon goddess of spring whose name later gave rise to the English Easter, may be etymologically connected to Ishtar. Historians confirm that Ishtar was known as the goddess of fertility, and Easter comes from the Norse goddess of fertility and was symbolized by a rabbit. It is well known among those who study the subject that the ancient fertility symbols of rabbits and eggs were introduced into the Easter tradition. The Oxford Companion to World Mythology tells us this about the origins of Easter. The holiday comes in the early spring and is clearly related to ancient fertility myths of reborn heroes. For many, Easter is synonymous with fertility symbols such as the Easter rabbit, Easter egg, and the Easter lily. Many historians believe the origin of the Easter egg goes all the way back to the Babylonian myth of a large egg falling from the sky into the Euphrates River, from which the goddess Astarte was hatched, thus the connection between Astarte and the egg, and historians tell us Astarte is merely another name for Ishtar. No less than the Encyclopedia Britannica reveals... Astarte was worshipped in Egypt and Ugarit among the Hittites as well as in Canaan. Her Akkadian counterpart was Ishtar. Later she became assimilated with the Egyptian deities Isis and Hathor, a goddess of the sky and of women, and in the Greco-Roman world with Aphrodite, Artemis, and Juno. These were all the same goddess, but spelled differently in different languages and in different cultures. Now, to help you understand more about this subject, today we're offering to you absolutely free of charge a brand new booklet never before offered on this program, Easter, The Untold Story. In this booklet, you'll find the biblical explanation for the crucifixion and resurrection. You will see that Jesus did fulfill the only sign he gave and that he is the true Messiah. This is the untold story that is obscured by Easter traditions. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, this is information you need to know. This booklet contains all these references plus additional source material that cover the true origins of Easter. Yes, Jesus was crucified and resurrected, as we shall see later in this program. But even that part of the story is mistold through Easter traditions. And I'll prove that to you in the next portion of this program. For today's free informative offer, send your request to Tomorrow's World, P.O. Box 3800, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28227. Or call this toll-free number, 1-800-236-0531. That number again is 1-800-236-0531. With this offer, you will also receive your free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, full of timely articles and unique insights on today's important issues. Tomorrow's World magazine keeps you up to date with world trends, Bible prophecy, 
and the very meaning of life itself. Tomorrow's World, call now. As we have seen, Ishtar was the ancient goddess of fertility and love. It was also known by the names of Istra, Istre, Easter, and Astarte. In the Hebrew language, the plural form of Astarte was Ashtoreth, and we find several references to the worship of Ashtoreth in the Bible, never in a positive context. And the Encyclopedia Britannica unequivocally confirms this biblical connection. Astarte, or Ashtoreth, is the queen of heaven to whom the Canaanites burned offerings and poured libations. Jeremiah also refers to this queen of heaven in chapter 7, verse 18, where he describes a family preparing for a celebration in her honor. The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead the dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. One Easter custom popular in some countries around the world is the baking of small cakes or buns with a cross cut into them or a sweet glazed cross placed on top. These are especially popular on what is called Good Friday, the supposed day of Jesus' crucifixion. Now notice this statement about these buns in light of Jeremiah's denunciation of the family tradition of baking cakes to the Queen of Heaven. The cross, people assume, is to denote the cross upon which Jesus was crucified. This is, in fact, nonsense. Spice buns with crosses were being produced throughout much of pagan Europe. Spice buns have always been symbolic in worship, and ones adorned with crosses were made for the goddess Istre, where Easter gets its name. But does all this matter? Some think mixing a little innocent paganism into Christian celebrations brings more people to Christ and makes Christian celebrations more colorful and enjoyable. But how does the God of the Bible see this? One of the things for which Jesus condemned the religious leaders of his day was that they rejected God's commandments and substituted their own traditions. One of God's commandments was that his people are not to borrow pagan ideas and blend them with his observances. Deuteronomy 12, verse 30, warns us not to ask, how did these nations serve their gods? And say, I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination of the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Yet that is exactly what we see in the celebration of Easter. Highly respected encyclopedias and history books admit that much of what we think of as Christian simply was not and is not. Easter is nowhere to be found in the Bible, with one exception. The old King James Version inserted the word Easter in Acts the 12th chapter, verse 4. But virtually all authorities agree that the original word from which it was translated should read Passover. In addition to blending pagan customs and traditions into the worship of the true God, contrary to his command, we find that even the part of Easter that supposedly comes from the Bible is terribly flawed. Most people believe Jesus was crucified on a Friday, put in the tomb late afternoon that day, and then he rose early Sunday morning. But is this what the Bible actually tells us? After all, the Bible is the only source that can properly answer this question. 
So what does it say? Notice Matthew, the 12th chapter, beginning in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now consider, Jesus said that no sign would be given to that generation except the sign of Jonah. Jesus would be in the grave the exact same length of time as Jonah was in the belly of a great fish. And what was that time? Three days and three nights. Try as you might, you cannot come up with three days and three nights between Friday afternoon and Sunday morning. Even if you count parts of days, you still come up short. But let's try. Scripture tells us that Jesus was put in the tomb right at sunset. But some count those few minutes before sunset as day one. Friday night would be one night. The daylight portion of Saturday would be the second day, and Saturday night would make the second night. Now, if Jesus rose Sunday morning after sunrise, we might count that as day three. But where is the third night? It just isn't there. So if the Good Friday Easter Sunday tradition is correct, we are left with three possibilities. One, we have not properly understood the sign Jesus gave. Two, the Good Friday Easter Sunday tradition is in error. Or three, Jesus was wrong and he is not our Savior. Have we properly understood the sign? Did Jesus literally mean three days and three nights? The Abingdon Bible Commentary bluntly tells us the statement made is inaccurate, for Jesus was in the grave only from Friday evening to Sunday dawn. Most commentators do not accept the statement to be literal, and they try to make their tradition fit Scripture. Many allege that a day and night combined simply means a single 24-hour day, and further, the first and third days only need to be a portion of a day. However, Matthew 12, verse 40, is not dependent on one language alone. Jesus' words were recorded in the Greek language, and it is true that the Greek expression used in this verse may mean parts of three days, although, as I've already read, the Abingdon Bible Commentary rejects that idea. More importantly, we must remember that what Jesus actually said was, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So how long was Jonah in the belly of the fish? We learn from Jonah, the first chapter, verse 17, the following. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The book of Jonah was written in the Hebrew language, and we must look to that language and its common usage to understand this expression. Appendix 144 in the Companion Bible explores the meaning of three days and three nights in Hebrew usage. After giving a technical explanation, it sums it up this way. Hence, when it says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, it means exactly what it says and that this can be the only meaning of the expression in Matthew 12, 40.
This is the first reason we know that Jesus' claim means a full three days and three nights. The meaning of Matthew 12:40 is not dependent on one language alone. Now, the second reason is found in statements Jesus made elsewhere about how long he would be in the grave. Jesus spoke of his body figuratively as this temple, and in John 2:19 he declared, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." In three days means that it has to be within three days. But on another occasion, it is recorded that he would be resurrected to life after three days. Mark 8:31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Following his resurrection, we are told in Luke 24:46, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So here we have three different expressions that help us understand how long he was in the tomb. In three days, after three days, the third day. When we put these three expressions together, Along with the only sign Jesus gave about being in the grave three days and three nights, there can be only one time that fits all four expressions, exactly 72 hours, not a minute before or a minute after. The time is precise. But there's a third proof that he would be in the tomb exactly 72 hours, and that is the biblical chronology of events. And this is something very few people understand. One reason is because most professing Christians have rejected the biblical festivals and holy days and have accepted pagan substitutions. Why is it that most assume that Jesus was crucified on Friday? I'll answer that question in a moment. But again, I want to offer you our brand new publication, Easter, The Untold Story. In this booklet, you'll find the biblical explanation for the crucifixion and resurrection you will see that Jesus did fulfill the only sign he gave and that he is the true Messiah. This is the untold story that is obscured by Easter traditions. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, this is information you need to know. So take down the contact information you'll be shown and get your own copy of this absolutely free publication, Easter, The Untold Story. For today's free informative offer, send your request to Tomorrow's World, P.O. Box 3800, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28227. Or call this toll-free number, 1-800-236-0531. That number again is 1-800-236-0531. With this offer, you will also receive your free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, full of timely articles and unique insights on today's important issues. Tomorrow's World magazine keeps you up to date with world trends, Bible prophecy, and the very meaning of life itself. Tomorrow's World. Call now. Why is it that most assume that Jesus was crucified on Friday? 
The truth is that many have no idea other than that is what they've been taught. But for those who know a little more about the Bible, they understand that he was crucified on a preparation day leading up to a Sabbath. For example, we have Luke's statement in chapter 23, beginning in verse 52, where it describes how Joseph of Arimathea buried Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock, where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. All serious Bible students understand the biblical Sabbath begins at sunset on Friday and ends at sunset on Saturday. It would therefore appear that Jesus was crucified Friday morning and put in the grave very late Friday afternoon. But this is not what the Bible reveals. Many errors are the result of a carelessly assumed false assumption, and this is what we have here. There is no doubt that Jesus was crucified on a preparation day for a Sabbath. But which Sabbath? Was it the weekly Sabbath, or was it some other Sabbath? And if so, what could that possibly be? What many call the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper was, in fact, the Passover. There can be no doubt about this, although some scholars try to contradict what the Bible clearly says. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all call Jesus' final supper with the disciples the Passover. Let's look at Luke's account, chapter 22, beginning in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. Now notice verse 13 and also verse 15. So they went and found it just as he said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Can there be any doubt that the Last Supper was indeed the Passover? The Passover was a very special day, but it wasn't a Sabbath. However, the day that follows the Passover is a Sabbath day. Notice this from Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. On the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. We know from this that the day following the Passover was a high day, an annual Sabbath day, where work was not to be done. God counts time from sunset to sunset. Jesus kept the Passover with his disciples at the beginning of the day, shortly after sunset. And he was put in the grave late on the afternoon of the Passover day. When the sun set that evening, it was the first day of unleavened bread, an annual high day Sabbath. And this is exactly what the Apostle John reveals to us in John 19, verse 31. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. Notice this, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Why is this part of the story untold? We'll answer that question in the last portion of this program. But first I'd like to offer you our free booklet, Easter, The Untold Story. 
In this booklet, you'll find the biblical explanation for the crucifixion and resurrection. You will see that Jesus did fulfill the only sign he gave and that he is the true Messiah. This brand new booklet and all of our literature is absolutely free. Visit us online or call now for your free copy. Today's offer is yours absolutely free. No cost, no obligation. Visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. Find us on Facebook, watch us on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter. Why is it that this part of the story of a second Sabbath is untold? We find that the Bible records two Sabbaths involving the time Jesus was in the tomb. In Mark, the 16th chapter, verse 1, it tells us the women rested on the Sabbath and then bought spices after it was over. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. But in Luke, the 23rd chapter, it tells us they prepared the spices and then rested on the Sabbath. That day was a preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. You can't prepare the spices before you buy them. Mark tells us that they didn't buy the spices until after the Sabbath. But Luke tells us they prepared them and rested on the Sabbath. These two passages give infallible proof that the women rested on the high day, that is the annual Sabbath, then they bought and prepared the spices before resting on the weekly Sabbath. This is the only way to understand these verses. Either there were two Sabbaths with an ordinary day in between, or the Bible contradicts itself. Now let me diagram this for you. Jesus kept the Passover with his disciples after sunset on Tuesday evening. He was taken into custody later that night and crucified on Wednesday. He was put in the tomb right before sunset, late Wednesday afternoon. Now let's count three days and three nights. Wednesday at sunset began the annual high day Sabbath, and Wednesday night was the first night. Daylight Thursday was still the Sabbath and was the first day. The Sabbath ended at sunset. It was on this day between two Sabbaths that the women bought and prepared the spices. So Thursday night is our second night, and the daylight portion of Friday is our second day. When the sun set Friday afternoon, the weekly Sabbath began. Friday night is our third night, and Saturday is our third day. Jesus was raised from the grave late Saturday afternoon, right before sunset. But the women did not come until very early the next morning, what is commonly called Sunday. And when they arrived, he was already gone. To understand more on this subject, please note the contact information that will be shown momentarily to order your own absolutely free copy of Easter, The Untold Story. This is vital information that everyone who believes in Christ needs to have. Don't believe what I've said on today's program because I said it. Believe it because that's what your Bible says. And be sure to come back again next week when Richard Ames, 
Wallace Smith and I will bring you more plain truth and untold stories straight from the Bible. See you next time. To view the Tomorrow's World telecast or request today's free offer, visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. Remember to find us on Facebook and be sure to follow us on Twitter. The preceding program is produced by the Living Church of God.